All right. So for today on the podcast, all the way in, in sunny California, I have Christy. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you for having me. I'm doing awesome. Well, I mean, I'm sorry. You didn't ask me that, but I'm no, not, not yet. <laughs> no, well, that's what, how, how is the weather and uh, the climate over there in California? It is fantastic today. It's a little warm. It'll be probably about 90, but it's a little breezy. It's nice and sunny as normal. And it's, it's actually a really pretty day. If it wasn't for, for COVID, what would people be doing right now in your part of town? Oh, my goodness. Well, I mean, in my part of town, I'm a little bit rural. I'm about 20 minutes outside of town. Um, but we'd be out riding our horses or doing, you know, playing on on the, uh, you know, motorsports kind of stuff, you know, racers and whatnot. But most everybody is beach bound or, you know, uh, doing the, the shopping and lunch and all that stuff. But it's it's been a different experience. I'm glad some of it's opening up finally. <laughs> uh, yeah, for sure. Um, the past few days, I was reading that some states were spiking up again, and then they were talking about a second lockdown. Oh, goodness. I have a feeling there is a second one coming for this state because our in my personal opinion, our governor's an idiot. Um, but he it just, I think if people used a lot of common sense, I think we wouldn't be quite in the position we're in. It's like, if you're not feeling good, don't go out, you know, kind of thing. But if I think, and I think the over, over exaggeration to the, uh, to, you know, even just the smaller numbers that have been affected. I think that, uh, I think, yeah, you're going to see spikes because people are, are out and about to some extent, but you are getting people that are passing it in within their homes too. So it's, I think it's a double-edged sword. It's, you know, it's a strain that's probably not going anywhere for quite a while, just like H1N1 did. You know, I was exposed to that, but never got it. Um, but it's just one of those things where it's, it's, you know, we're, part of the animal kingdom we're going to have stuff that comes up right you know? and it's unfortunate but it, it is part of life <laughs> yeah um have you vo- always lived in california yeah yeah i was exactly. born in redondo beach and spent all my life out here but you know in different parts of southern california so whether it be la county in the south bay or orange county or um right now where i'm at uh, out here just outside of Corona, it's it's a lot of fun, you know, being out here because there's so much to do. Yeah. But it is it is different living out here, especially you know, it it's expensive. It's sometimes extremely populated in certain areas, and other than that, it's 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 a pretty cool place to be. Mm-hmm. I never got that. I never got like when a place is so expensive that people still move there or stay there like I would just like move out if I couldn't afford it for a while it's the weather oh, it's the weather <laughs> it's the weather <laughs> because it's pretty pretty mild most of the year here so it's everybody likes the fact that you can still go out and do it you don't have drastic weather you don't have snow <laughs> for the most part depending on where you're at out here and right. it's so everybody loves it and it's the fact that you're you know, an hour away from, say, the beach, the mountains, you can do all of it. You can go snow skiing in the morning and hit the beach in the late afternoon. So 
it's, you know, it's really diverse. I mean, and everybody pretty much likes the fact that there's so much to do and within a small amount of space. Right. Gotcha. Cool. Well, I found you on Instagram. Um, I don't know which hashtag it was. It was either visually impaired or low vision. And I reached out to you to see if you wanted to do the podcast and I appreciate it. Um, oh, no, it yeah. was my pleasure. Yeah. You have a cool page, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. Got all the yoga, the horses, the running. <laughs> oh, well, I don't do a whole lot of running anymore, but I do do the fitness stuff that I, I want. I love, used to love to run when I was younger and it just didn't work out so well with my asthma. So I decided to stop doing it. Okay. There you go. So, but the, the fitness stuff I absolutely love because I can take my, you know, if I do need a break, I can take my break. I go and, you know, make, watch my, my, uh, you know, my, I listen to my body a little bit better than when I'm actually in the middle of a run kind of thing. So, but I, the, as far as the I mean, horses have been something that I've done since I was little. Um, and then, you know, I just, I, I love, I kind of am a workout junkie a little bit. You know, I, I, I vowed to take care of myself after the last relationship I got out of and I will never go back from that. Right. So it's, it's a huge thing for me and I'm glad that I get the chance to share it with everybody. Nice. Um, there's another guest that I had on, forgot which season it was. Her name is, um, her handle was Kim Possible. <laughs> it's awesome. I actually follow her. Oh, you do? Cool. Nice. Yeah. So she was on the show and, and, uh, she lives in California as well. Yeah. She's pretty amazing. I love, I love her determination. She's, she's kind of pretty. She's the fourth fittest para athlete, I think she said. Yeah. And you know, it's funny. I've never gone in and gotten my classification as a para-athlete, mm. even for the horses. And I should, and I've gotten my paperwork for it twice and I never ended up doing it. I never, I've always competed against able body. Oh, I see. I never knew there was a, a, a cert or something that you could get. I, but that's the thing. I felt like you just competed. Just compete. You can, you can still compete as um, like say in my discipline, like say in dressage or, or with the horses, you can still compete against able-bodied and you don't, you just don't get the concessions for um, the fact that you're um, a para-athlete. So you like, say if I went in and I got my cert, right? Right. And I went in to compete because I'm visually impaired. I wouldn't be in the same warm-up ring with everybody else. So they have to give me a separate place to warm up so that I'm not worried about crashing with another horse and rider. I see. So, and then the fact that I, the, the sport that I do, I have an independently ridden. I don't ride with other riders. So if I go into the arena by myself anyway. I don't have to worry about that though too. And they do give you a caller if, if your visual impairment reaches a certain level or is classified at a certain level, I should say. They give you a collar that lets you know where the letters are in the arena so that you can do um, the things. So I have just enough vision where I can see where the stand, where the letter is. I can't make the letters out, but I can see the white stand. So I actually wor work on um, memorizing how many, like I get my horse at the stride I'm supposed to, and I work with my trainer, and then I memorize how many strides it is between letters for each movement. Hmm. So that I don't have to worry about having a collar per se. So, and like I said, I've always competed against able-bodied. So I, I should get my, as I'm getting older, I should get my para cert, you know, my classification. 
just because I'm not getting any younger <laughs> and it gets a little scarier for me, the busier the shows get. And so I, it would probably be a better idea for me to do so. I just never have previously. Got it. So let's start with, um, what's, what's your eye condition? So I have bilateral optic nerve hyperplasia. So my optic nerves did not develop the way that they're supposed to. So the cables from the TV to the brain don't work. Mm-hmm. Um, my left eye is, I have one pinpoint of light perception, but that's it. So it's basically useless. Mm-hmm. Um, it's there for cosmetic reasons only. The right eye, the peripheral is all is out of focus, you know, blurry, whatnot. And um, I only see what's in focus, but not nearly close to 2020. Um, only what's directly in front of me. So some people like to call it, oh, you kind of have tunnel vision in that eye. It's not necessarily that because it's not dark um, up to the point where I can see. So I have it there. It's just not in focus at all. It's blurry around the outside of my actual visual acuity area. But on top of that, I have, you know, the astigmatism and the nystagmus and, you know, um, and the strabismus in both eyes too. Mm -hmm. So um, it's just, you know, they they do tend to move, which is really funny. I love playing drinking games with people. Um, (laughs) (laughs) How many beers has Chrissy had? and usually it, they, I mean, they move before I do, so <laughs> nobody ever gets it right. Mm. So they move less when I'm less stressed. If I'm stressed, they will definitely move. Um, but it's, and I've had that since birth. Uh, I've had one corrective surgery to, because when I was born, both eyes, iris and pupils were both tucked inside next to my nose. So I had to have the eyes straightened before they could see whether I had really any vision at all. Um, my mother was told that, that from the first doctor that she took me to that I would be completely blind. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second, she went for a second opinion. He said, well, she's got something because she's reacting to light in that right eye. So they went ahead and straightened the eyes to see if I had anything that was going to be usable. And lo and behold, I did have some, which is, I mean, thank the Lord above for that one. But it's, so it was, lim- it's limited, but it is there. Um, and so we did uh, all sorts of good stuff from the, the CAT scans and the, the stuff. They never actually ordered an MRI on me. So we don't know how far the actual underdevelopment goes back. Because it's technically an underdeveloped, a midline brain underdevelopment. So it's just, we don't know how far it goes back, but I've been still been able to do life without having to have that MRI for the most part. So I, I just never have done it. Mm-hmm. How old were you when, um, so since birth, so your mom got the second opinion. How old were you when it was officially confirmed? Like, all right, this is her vision. God, I was pretty I was awfully young because we did a lot of the patching and stuff and trying to strengthen the right eye mm-hmm. um, or was trying to strengthen the left eye and then I had to do they had to do stuff post-op um, to get me to to get the muscles you know back strong after they had did the muscle surgery to move the iris pupil back straight I could have done one more surgery to fix the left one but at this point at the point when I I thought about it again I was older and I was 
I basically came to the conclusion that if somebody has a problem with it, it's their problem, not mine. <laughs> okay. And and I never ended up doing it to, to straighten that. So it still floats a little bit, but it's not anything that big. I see. Gotcha. So, okay. I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah. So I've had mine since birth. Mine is, is called, uh, uh, like, you know, like they're all big, weird names. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, mine is called toxoplasmosis, where the retina, uh, they're scarring behind my retina and the retina did not fully develop. So uh, really, there's there were no treatment for it, and same with mine, yeah, yeah. So really, the only way to fix mine is I gotta get new eyeballs or something. And um, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's a tough one too because then you run into the connect the reconnection of the optic nerve too, which they still don't really understand. Um, mm-hmm. You know how exactly all of that the optic nerve portion works. So that's. That's a that's a tricky one too. I have actually heard of toxoplasmosis because I did veterinary medicine for a long time, and that is something we always had to test for for you know up and coming moms with with cats in the house. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, gotcha. So you had a since birth, and then um, did you ever have a conversation with your mom later on? Like, mom, what did they tell you when I was diagnosed with this? What what uh. What what did they tell you the outcomes were going to be? Were they very optimistic? Were they pessimistic? You know, she was pretty. Uh, they were both pretty upfront with me uh, for the you know, for the most part throughout my my childhood. I mean, I knew I wasn't going to be able to drive when I was really young, um, and I didn't really face it. I don't think until I was getting closer to like thirteen. You know, and and started thinking more about it and then as I got closer it was like holy crap this is actually true you know like I'm not gonna have this happen and but they they were really they were really honest with me from the get-go I mean as as I was I would try to do things and it was it was like it's okay if you can't but I'm glad you tried kind of thing and they always wanted me to do as much as I possibly could you know, because I do have some vision, there's, there's stuff that there's a lot of things I can still do, or I can modify it enough that I can still kind of make it work. <laughs> so it's, it's I, I was out with a lot of the regular kids, but I just couldn't play sports, you know, like, they had to call me out of, out of playing football on the street several times with my friends, you know, that kind of thing, because I would inevitably always get hurt. And you know, hit with the ball, whatever, or by another person, you know, yada, yada. So it was one of those things where I, I really wanted to be as regular as I could. And they gave me the opportunities to do so, but they would definitely, you know, they were very honest with me. Like, this is not something that you're going to be able to do very easily. You know, and, and so we would work with it. And, and, and she did let me know, like when we would have to pat, do the patching and working on strengthening and stuff like that, and teaching me how to do my exercises before I went to sleep, which I still do um, almost every night. Uh, that whole stuff, you know, she was really, you know, she was on it as much as she could. She took as much information as from them as she, as she could to to help, you know, give me the best opportunity that I could could possibly have growing up, you know, and, and being not necessarily pessimistic about it, but fairly realistic about it, you know, and 
and still on the same token say, you know, hey, do as much as you possibly can. You know, live your life as much as you possibly can. And and they still do it to this day. They still, I mean, there's still a lot of times when it's like, yeah, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. And I'm like, I don't know. And then, it, you know, sure enough, I find, I figure out a way that I can. Because I, I don't, they never gave me the, you can't. So I always am one of those people that I'm just going to do. I'm, I'm going to try anyway, and I'm going to do absolutely as much as I possibly can in this world. I want to, you know, I'm not going to hold myself back from anything just because of my vision. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so let me, let me back up a bit. Sure. When, when do you remember like you were, that you were conscious, like, dang, like my, my eyes are not the same like everyone else's. Or the kids outside. Very young. Okay. Very young. Because when we would have to do like the patching work and stuff, I knew something was wrong. I okay. knew something wasn't right. And I was really young at that point. Like like how young? Like five, six? Oh, even younger. Okay. Yeah. Because the I was really young when they did the uh, I'm trying to even remember how old exactly I was when they did the first the surgery. And even after that, it just and I remember going in and out of the doctor, the, you know, all the doctor's appointments and all the, you know, being the guinea pig of this this thing that a lot of the doctors hadn't seen before or you know, hadn't seen a case of. And because back when I was younger, I mean, this it wasn't as, as prevalent. It just, you know, optic nerve hypoplasia wasn't something that was, you know, as heard of. So everybody, when, every time I'd go in, everybody wanted to look at my eyes. <laughs> Oh, I see. Got it. Yeah, I was the guinea pig, but it it was so I knew I I knew whether I wanted to admit it. I want still wanted to be like all the other kids, but I knew I wasn't. Mm-hmm. You know, I had big thick glasses. I you know I definitely mm-hmm. wasn't. I mm-hmm. <laughs> definitely wasn't. I they got made fun of very early. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, you know. So all right. So so you got the vision. And so when you went to kindergarten, if you remember, do you know if, if your parents had the option of putting you at like uh, mainstream or regular public schools, or was there an option for like, because uh, I believe every state has them like a, a low vision school or something. Um, there was not another option at that point. It was, I had to go to mainstream. Gotcha. Now, it, now, there was no option because it didn't exist or you guys weren't aware of it? I'm not quite sure if it didn't quite if it didn't exist because I did pretty much everything in mainstream, even though it, I wasn't offered a whole lot of help. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, you know, just regular classes. I just had to sit up front and sometimes get extra help from, you know, from teachers. Kindergarten wasn't quite as as hard. It was one of those things where you know everything's pretty much on your paper in front of you. When you're when you're doing the learning portions of them, mm-hmm. but and there wasn't as much on the on like say a chalkboard or a you know a whiteboard at that point. Um, but later on, and most of the time that I noticed that I had issues was more in the free time or or like you know recess things like that than I did in the classroom. Um, at that point, it was as I got older I started having and having you know more of a struggle with that. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah. as far as programs, there wasn't really a whole lot at that point. 
Okay. I'm a little um, older too. <laughs> so, um, so, so let me see. So you're in school. So now it's program, you're mainstream. Uh, I sat in the front of the class as well. I, I did those. And, um, um, back in those days when I was doing it, I had, um, there was like a vision teacher or in a, or a counselor that would come to the school and ask, do you need anything? And she, I mean, the tools that she really had, man, it was, it was, it was kind of primitive to be honest, but it was like back in the nineties anyway, but it was like, like a big magnifying sheet that she would give me so that I could read. And I was like, okay, this is okay. I do remember those, but that wasn't until much later. That was until like high school. Oh, I see. So I, cause I graduated in 93. So it was, it was not until those last few years of high school that that kind of stuff even happened for me. Uh-huh. Oh, I see. Gotcha. So that's interesting. So how is it, so how is it that in high school that you eventually got um, access to that? It was actually one teacher <laughs> and my grandmother and my mom. And it was, you know, working on stuff where I was saying that it was, getting tougher. I had a, a specific instance in eighth grade. Uh-huh. Um, and then my freshman year, I struggled in one class in eighth grade. And then in my freshman year, I really struggled with um, the change in the classroom setup and the fact that, you know, we were more responsible for our own stuff. And it got a little bit more difficult for me as far as uh, verbalizing to the teachers how I, how I needed the help. Mm. Um, the eighth grade one, I asked repeatedly for the help. He denied it, had me sitting in the back portion of the class. I got in trouble for talking several times by asking what was on the board. I ended up failing that class because I couldn't see. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't see what he was doing. I had no idea what he was doing. And so I ended up failing it. And I ended up taking it summer school and acing the class because the teacher, that particular teacher was amazing about it. I was up front. She would finish a, a sheet on the, because they had the projectors onto the whiteboard thing at that point. And when she would finish a sheet, she would hand it to me so that I could do the work. I would look at, look at exactly what she was doing and recall what she was saying and write my notes. But I was just one sheet behind everybody. Mm. And that helped a lot. Um, as far as that went. And so I had, I, I struggled in fr- freshman year and then I kind of started to get how I could handle it mm-hmm. um, in high school. And then I've had things like the sheet magnifier or um, they did some work with my, my glasses as far as how I could make it a little bit easier for me to see mm-hmm. um, things like that. But, um, and then they also, um, I also had a couple of friends through high school that saved my life as far as getting through high school. They were my eyes through high school. Um, my particular girlfriend, Angela, boy, I would have, I would have been had some horrible grades if it hadn't been for her, <laughs> but she helped a lot and actually would go in with me at the beginning of, of school years and, and talk to the, the teachers that I had at each new, new school year so that I knew I, or each, you know, change of, of you know semester for classes and things like that and she would go in with me so that I didn't have to go in there by myself and tell this teacher hey by the way I can't see you know mm-hmm. um and it helped give me a little bit more confidence to go and have that conversation knowing that there's somebody else there that 
didn't care whether I did or not. Mm-hmm. And that was their help. So there was a few friends that were that were really my lifesavers in, in high school. I didn't like school though <laughs> at all. I, I completely understand. Um, throughout my years, I was really embarrassed. I didn't yeah. want to say anything about it. Like you said, I didn't want to draw any more attention yeah. than I was already getting. Yeah, uh, I was already getting made fun of. I was already yeah. getting enough attention. I was exactly. the crazy weird kid with the big glasses and the yeah. You know the book in her, you know, on her nose. You know, and one hundred percent. Why do you see so close? Why do you see like that? Why do you look at yeah. things like, like don't fucking or, worry. Or didn't you see me there? Or oh, look at that. And I'm like, look at what? <laughs> yeah, 100%. I don't know what your point. That still happens. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you'll play it off like, oh yeah, I do see it. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. oh yeah, that's great. I, and then you play it off just so that you can you can belong, like you can uh, relate. Whatever. Absolutely. I still do it. Yeah. <laughs> I still do. I did it the other day. It's like, yeah. oh my God, look at that. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. sure. Oh yeah, I see it. I see it. And it's like, no. <laughs> so yeah, I completely understand. Yeah, because you're we're we're already getting unwanted attention for things that we can't control, like trying to see. Absolutely. Yeah. Um and then and then yeah, and then it's it's difficult and it, and it sucks that teachers especially teachers in the mainstream, and it's not their fault. I would say it's the fault of maybe the system for not putting more awareness or emphasis or the resources, because, you know, teachers, they're always never enough resources. But, um, but yeah, that one teacher you had in the summer, uh, she didn't have to do what she did, but she did because she knew that this would definitely help you out. Um, Absolutely. I didn't like school either. I used to think that I hated learning. I used to think that I didn't like it because I I failed more classes than I passed actually because of the the whole vision thing. Yeah. yeah, but it wasn't until later, until like my twenties, uh, that I realized like you know I actually like reading. I actually like math. And um, oh, by the way, so I interviewed these two young ladies. They have this brand called True Facer from Canada. One young lady is like uh, about to be a senior in high school, and another one I think she just graduated high school, and they both have vision impairment. And one of the young ladies says, I ask her, what's your favorite subject in school? I love math. I'm like, what? I love math. What? You like math? And it's odd because no one in our community likes math for the mere fact, like you just said, we can't see the board. But she says, in Canada, all the boards have smart boards. Therefore, I can see everything on the board in the iPad. Oh, geez. That would have been huge. Right? When that I would have been huge. When I heard that, I was like, "No way!" She's like, "Yeah, it's and but she said it to me like, "Yeah, don't you know? Like, who doesn't everyone have this? No fucking no one didn't have this." <laughs> that would have been so freaking much easier. <laughs> yeah. And it was so odd to me that she said that. And I was like, "Yeah, man, if I had an iPad in school or something like that." Um, um, then I didn't have to sit in front as long as I could see everything on the iPad and I can get as close as I want. Um, that would have been a game changer. Absolutely. I would have sat in the back in every class. <laughs> and um, now, and then there was another young lady. She has albinism. She lives, I think she lives in California too. She's from originally from, I think it was North Carolina or Atlanta or Georgia, but I'll figure it out. I'll, I'll find out which one it is. But it is, uh-huh. 
So she didn't do well in school either because of the vision. She didn't want to have, see, her, the advantage that you and I have is you can't tell that we have a vision impairment until you actually see us trying to read something like our phones. Yeah. But or she, if mine are moving. Yeah, there you go. But she has albinism. So it's very obvious because, you know, they're, they're light skin. Now, yeah. it wasn't until she got back into school, like in her late 20s, and the services for the blind uh, hooked her up with an iPad. And not only was the iPad beneficial for her in education, but she even said, I even have it on my Instagram bite. Um, she goes, um, I had to be an advocate for myself because no one knew how I saw. And if I didn't express that, then I wouldn't get the help that I needed. Yeah. See, I didn't learn that until college, really. I mean, to be honest, I, I didn't really start speaking up until college. And college, I struggled a lot, but it, was yeah actually after college that I really got the help that I really needed. Mm-hmm. I didn't, you know, before that I didn't, but after college, boy, did I, I went into a new ophthalmologist and because I had to switch insurance where I was working and uh, I went into a new ophthalmologist and boy, did they just open up a whole new world to me about what was out there and what I had, what could help. And I, I mean, I couldn't even begin to express how thankful I was for them and and all the the doors they opened for me um, as far as that goes. I mean, starting to use things like Zoom text um, and, scanning my mail in and putting that onto the computer, getting, you know, using the iPad, starting to, you know, get all that, that stuff worked out, you know, getting, finally getting a white cane, um, which I never had before that. And, and also getting some mobility training so that I wasn't just, you know, struggling the whole, like, you know, look up, look down, look up, look down, look up, look down (laughs) to try to get around. Um, and and really starting to open up, you know, some other other opportunities, you know, to help me stay working, you know, and and stay, you know, productive at work. And that I mean, that, those were huge, huge. The the um, the digital magnifiers and things like that that I could use when I was when I'm grocery shopping, things like that. I mean, that stuff is just irreplaceable for me. Mm-hmm. I, 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 now that I have it, I just, I couldn't imagine doing it. I mean, most of the time it was, I always had to have somebody help. And now if I really want to, I can split off from somebody that is driving and I can do my shopping, they can do their shopping and I can still see it enough, or, you know, use my tools enough to do what I'm doing. I need to get done where before I just never had it. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> let me back up to when you were in school still. Sure. Um, did you know? Did you have, I'm sure you had an idea. Do you know what you wanted to, to, to be like a profession? That was heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. I really wanted to go into veterinary medicine. Okay. But I was not going to be a candidate really because of the surgical aspect. Mm -hmm. Um, And as far as being in practice veterinarian, if you don't do the surgical aspect, you either have to go into specialty or you have to know that your practice is going to be really limited. So I 
chose not to. And after that, I was very just kind of confused. I didn't know what I wanted to do at that point. Mm-hmm. And how long, how long did you want to be a veterinarian? Oh God, most of my high school years. Okay. Most of my high school years, because I had already I had already started riding more in junior high school again. Because I started I first rode when I was six, and I kind of rode on and off until I was in junior high, and then that kind of really took off. You know, my parents you know let me explore that that passion, you know, definitely, you know, much more. And it just kind of took off for me. I always was an animal person. There's just no question about that. But mm-hmm. uh, and so it was kind of heartbreaking for me. I had somebody tell me at a career day in, in high school that it just wasn't going to be possible. Mm-hmm. And it broke me. <laughs> so I, I just I didn't even know what I wanted to do after that. I really didn't. Mm-hmm. At that point, I just wanted to be normal. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like 100% in our community, the people that I talked to, driver's ed was a really horrible moment. And oh, God. <laughs> and, and it wasn't so much the class, but it was like the rite of passage, you know, like like 16 candles or... You, you like you know you know what I'm saying like there was so much emphasis uh, in getting a license and independence. How did you feel or how did you go through that? Well, they forced me to take driver's ed to graduate. <laughs> 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 so the first day of walking in that class and it really hit me hard. Um, I walked in. And <laughs> I walked directly up to the teacher, and I said. Well, we have an interesting situation. And I said, I talked to my counselor and they will not let me out of taking this class, even though there is no possibility on God's green earth that I will ever operate a vehicle. And uh, he, he was really funny. It was, he says, well, yeah, that might be a small danger for you to do so. He goes, and I wouldn't want you to hurt somebody. I said, I'd never forgive myself if I ever did. And because I, I kept having people just, just fake it, just pass the eye test, you know, memorize the eye chart, just, you know, do it, you know, so you can still be, you know, like all the rest of us. And I'm like, I can't do that. I can't do that. It'd be, it'd be so incredibly wrong. Mm-hmm. And if something happened, then that's on my conscience. And I could never do that. So I... You know, that poor kids at that age, you know, everybody thinks that you're invincible. So, mm-hmm. and so I go into this class and I tell him that I can't see. And Stephanie says, well, he says, well, number one, I won't be yelling at you for not watching the movies in the class then. <laughs> because I'm not going to be able to see those either. <laughs> so he says, well, how about this? I'll make you a deal. You come in. You sit in the class. Mm-hmm. take the tests I don't care what you get on them I'll give you a, a passing grade on all the tests he goes but do your homework in the class mm. I said okay deal so I sat and I did my homework I never had to homework in, for that whole semester outside of school because I did it all while I was sitting in that class and everybody would go out and do their you know their portion their driving portion of the class and I'm sitting there and there by myself with him just doing my homework and just never 
you know, I just kind of got through it. He, he felt really bad. He said, you know, they shouldn't make you do this. Mm. And there was a couple of times he said, I will totally understand. There's a couple of times I got up and walked out of the class. Those were the moments when I figured out that it was really going to, it was never going to happen, you know? Mm -hmm. And it was okay. You know, I, I dealt with it. I just stood outside the door and kind of collected myself and just dealt with it. Mm -hmm. But I was glad that he was so cool about it. Mm -hmm. He was one of the few teachers I really liked in high, in high school because he, he never judged me for it. He was like, okay, you know, it, it, it's totally cool. You know, don't, don't put yourself in a position where you don't, you know, you don't feel comfortable. He said, if you need to walk out of the class, walk out of the class. He said, just don't, don't ditch the class completely. Just walk out, go get yourself, you know, figured out and then come back. Mm -hmm. And I always came back. I always came back and sat down, but I took my, I took my moments. Mm -hmm. You know, that's just, it was one of those things growing up. You just deal with, you know, it's, it's not easy when you're a kid and everybody else is doing something that you're never going to be able to do. Mm -hmm. You know, and then, you know, you watch your sister get her first car and you're like, well, crap, you know, <laughs> But I, I was, my parents were really cool about the whole thing because instead of getting a car later on, I was, it was a couple of years later, but, oh no, not too much, maybe a year later. I got my, my first, my own horse first, I mean, my first one that was mine. Um, and that was, that kind of made it easier for me because I had something to focus on. Yeah, I still had to be driven to the barn and all that, but I still got something I could focus on that wasn't going to be taken away from me you know that wasn't was something that I could do and I didn't have to worry about you know, how other people were going to look at it gotcha. so it kind of eased, eased the, the, the blow so to yeah. speak <laughs> um well that's, first of all kudos to the to the teacher um Absolutely. did he know your eye condition or did you have to tell him I told him that first day when I walked in. I was yeah, like, oh, yeah, no, here's I the deal. But they just, they won't let me out of doing it. So, so it's, it's so, so far, I noticed that in some situations, you didn't want to talk about your, your vision, right? But in this particular case, on day one, you approached them and told them, <sighs> what, what was the, what, what was the, the motivator there? to, to Because I had no way of getting around that one. I couldn't it. shake my way through it. Yeah. I couldn't do it just enough to make it look normal and I couldn't get around it at all. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I just, I couldn't, there was no way that I could figure out within myself how I could make that work. That one was like, that was the first time I was really like, by the way, you're getting hit with a wrecking ball because you, you can't get around this one. And I was like, darn it. I mean, I trust me that summer before that semester, I worked on every possible way I could figure out how to make it seem like I was going to go ahead and do it. Like, Oh no, I'm just going to do my driving portion outside of class. 
mm. and make it seem like I was going to be like everybody else. And it was that moment when I, that's why I, I kind of broke there. That was that moment when I realized that I was not going to be able to get away with this. <laughs> I was not going to be able to get around it. It was there. It was real. And I couldn't make myself seem normal at all in, 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 with that ever again. Mm-hmm. And it was one of my moments where I really had to come face to face with my problem and, and not my problem, but my, my vision and, and be like, Hey, you know what? This is part of what's going to be, you know, your, your life going forward. And, you know, it was so much easier when I didn't have to face those big, harsh realities, but it's, you know, it's part of growing up and, and you know, kind of going through the whole motions of figuring out what you can and can't do. Right. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah, no, I know what you mean, because, um, and I, I think I have the same upbringing as you in terms of how I dealt with it. We've uh, suppressed it or we are in like incognito. Yeah, camouflaged it. We did everything we could, but yep. like, yeah, yeah. When there's nothing you can do, and I think all those emotions came in at once. Like that's, it, you know, because you just put it off so much. Yeah. yeah. Got you. And I realized. Yeah. I think we too realized at that point too. We realized life is going to be a lot. It's going to be harder for us right. than it is for other people, and that's. That's kind of your make or break moment, though, too, when you have to realize, okay, am I going to meet this head on or am I going to shrivel up and, and be upset about it all the time? And, you know, that's why I just kind of pulled the big girl pants up and just walked in there and told him, like, hey, look, this is the deal. You know, I, I can't get around this. <laughs> yeah. It is what it is. Right. And, you know, but they won't let me out of the class in order to graduate. So I have to be here. So stupid. And it's so stupid, like, like, okay. Well, first of all, like, congrats on you for, uh, you know, just, you're just having to just face it. And, um, yeah, I'm sure it's not, it wasn't easy and, and, uh, but you did it. So I think that's really important. That's more than what some people could say, unfortunately, like we were talking before, you know, like it just, I just wasn't comfortable just putting the word low vision in my handle. Um, but yeah, to you, man. Thank you. I, I, it was a long time ago, and it was one of those things where it was just kind of like the, the eye-opening moment of my life being different than yeah. you know everybody else's. So yeah, it's it, it was one of the sucky moments, but it's one of the ones that makes you too. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, because um, so everyone that I talked to on the podcast about that topic everyone has had a hard time with it, you know, like they avoided it or they failed it or they somehow they passed it. And, um, it's just, it was just one of those just things. Um, the last guest that I had on, um, um, her name is Eve and she's actually the first parent that I've ever talked to that her son has albinism and low vision and parenting her son kind of like, sounds like how your parents parented you. She's saying, you know, honey, um, I don't know if you'll be able to drive in driver's ed. I don't know what your vision is going to be like when you're 15, 16. I don't know. There's a chance that you might not be able to. So she's so she's kind of preparing him for this scenario if it might happen, you know? Oh, I see. My, with mine, we already knew. We knew I wasn't. 
Yeah. But I don't think it really hit me until I had to take that class. Yeah. I mean, it started too earlier. Like I might not have the chance. I kept thinking maybe, maybe, you know, maybe they'll come up with something new. And just, I think that was the, the defining moment of when I was like, oh, wow, I'm not going to be able to do this. And now it's really going to show that I'm different from everybody else. Gotcha. And that was why it hit me so hard. So, so. my next subject is, um, so I feel like in our community, there's three things that really not just bother us, but it's, it's more like um, we have to adapt to these things. So the first one is it's positive outlook on life because it seems like a lot of people in our community, um, I, I'm, I'm also part of all these groups that you mentioned on Facebook. And I felt I had a hard time connecting with some people because I felt like some people were very pessimistic or some people very. are looking for a date or something or I'm alone and there's all this stuff, you know. So positive outlook is, is one thing. Second thing is employment. And then the third thing is dating that's um, in our community. For example, I had a hard time with dating. Um, so I grew up in Miami and I, like you, I couldn't drive a car. Everyone was driving a car and I didn't go on dates. I didn't even go to prom. I was really insecure about all of it. And I tell people like, listen, if you're in Miami, even if you got food stamps and you're living on section eight, you're still driving something. And so it was really hard for me dating. I really didn't date, date until like maybe my twenties. How was dating with you with the, with the vision impairment? Oh, you know, I, I, I kind of got lucky, especially early on. Um, you know, I dated quite a bit, uh, even in, uh, you know, a couple in high school and some in and out of a couple of different relationships, you know, like short term relationships when I was in college and, and after and such. But, um, I didn't really have a whole lot of problem with it until, uh, after my last relationship because my last one was 10 years long so it but the dating scene now is horrible and people are so incredibly superficial um that i've had instances where i've told you know i've had you know because you go back and forth with people saying put it on your dating profile don't put it on your dating profile and some people think if you don't put it on there, then you're lying to people. And if you do put it on there, you're giving them too much information. They're not going to sweat, you know, they're not going to talk to you. And I much rather prefer meeting somebody in person than I do in on, online. Only because I've not noticed I get more ghosting off of online than I ever do in person. And when I, when I was younger, I always met the people, the person in person. So it, they could see the fact that I can see some stuff. I'm not completely blind and I'm not going to be this huge burden to you. Um, which I don't even think people that are completely blind are. It's, it's, it's a stigma that's a completely ridiculous concept, but that most sighted people have, um, that your reliance on everything for them, you know, by, you know, with them and, and you can't do anything for yourself, which is just crazy. But, um, when I find, when I find that I meet somebody online, then it's, it's definitely much more, much more hard to, uh, 
to convey what I can and can't do or have them realize what I can and can't do um, than I, it is when I meet somebody in person. I would much rather meet somebody in person. But I haven't had a whole lot of problem with dating uh, for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, I did have some issues with that long-term relationship. I think when I started getting um, a lot of the help that I was getting uh, finally from, from you know, state and, and different agencies and things like that, I think he was embarrassed by the white king. And I'm not sure why. It, I don't know. It was very strange because there were times where it's like, oh, you don't need that. And then it's like, okay, we're going to say like Disneyland. And it's like, well, then you stay with me. Don't leave me behind. Don't get yourself separated from me because otherwise I can't find you, you know, kind of things. And it's like, I wanted that as my extra security in case I got, you know, separated. And it would seem like it was like, no, you know, don't worry about using it. And when I traveled, I always use it. I, when I'm in the airport, when I do things like that, when I traveled by myself for work, I had no problem with using I have no problem with using it. It just was interesting that that particular person I had been with for a few years at that point had problems with me using it. And that, that part was part of one of the things that I just started kind of moving away from the relationship with. Gotcha. So, yeah, it's interesting the way sighted people handle it. Sometimes it's kind of interesting, but you know, yeah. that's okay if you, if you drive me around, but just don't make it look like you have a problem. And it's like, well, wait a minute. I worked my butt off for a long time to make it look like I didn't. And now I'm starting to be okay with who I am. And now you have a problem with it. <laughs> How does this work? <laughs> uh, there was a guest I had on a few months ago. Her name is Melissa Tatted Sky. And she's a very pretty young lady. And she uses a cane. And she would say that um, the, the men she would date, they would tell her, no, 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 don't, don't bring the cane out. You know, I got you. And she would purposely say, no, I'm bringing my cane out. This is me. If you don't yeah. like pain, then, then, then don't even sweat it. And she, I want to say she, she probably didn't need the cane, but she did it as like a statement. This is me. Yeah. And so she made it very clear to me and, and then to the men that she's dating, like I'm taking my cane out everywhere. Um, and I thought that was, I, obviously I don't know that perspective because, you know, first yeah, I, I don't use a cane uh, yet. But, um, but, but yeah, and then she, she said the same thing that you said. She goes, some men were embarrassed to be with me because I used a cane, but I made it very clear that this is, this is me. Yeah, I don't use mine a lot. I mostly use it when I'm by myself. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to do any traveling by myself or even if I'm getting around doing grocery shopping by myself, things like that, I will use it because it, for two reasons. Number one, it keeps the, um, it keeps the comments down, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, the comments by others down. When I'm with somebody, I don't care. Somebody can say something at a at a check stand about how oh somebody needs glasses or, or you know hey do you want to borrow mine or 
things like that. And I am <laughs> totally fine to turn around and snap back at them or, or, you know, be like, you know, that was really rude. You know, I'm visually impaired. Thanks for the vote of confidence, you know, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I'm by myself, I generally don't like to do that. I would just use my cane so that it's like, Hey, by the way, that's what's going on. Just leave me alone. And, okay. and, and it does help, you know, obviously help me get around a lot easier when I don't have somebody to work off of. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I don't like at home. I don't use it at all. Um, and around my, even around my horses, I don't use it at all. Um, I don't need to. I mean, they all pick it. They pick it up faster than humans do, oddly mm-hmm. enough. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it, so they, they, they work better with me than a lot. Like I said, a lot of humans do, and they, and they, they figure it out really quickly. But. I need them a little more than they think that than anybody else, any other human around them is going to need them. Mm-hmm. You know, so they definitely take care of me. <laughs> nice. So, gotcha, gotcha. So, not so much. Um, yeah. So, first off, let me comment on the uh, online dating thing. Um, I used to do the online dating thing, and oh, it's like it's such a numbers game. It's kind of annoying. I do agree with you. I like meeting. Uh, people in person uh, because you can immediately judge I hate using that word but whatever word you want to use it but you can immediately know like if you got a connection if you're not if you feel the person if you don't Um, so I completely understand that uh, there's another young lady uh, the one who runs the makeup group that I told you about her name is Jeanette she was talking about uh, online dating and she's also not sure like should I put it on the should I put it on my profile should I not and I, I you know she's had some men that ghosted her because she told them about it and and, she, yeah. and this is the one I told you that she just recently been visually impaired for the last three years so yeah. he's feeling like she's an inconvenience that's what she's feeling. yeah and that she, yeah that's something where you have to you have to get a different perspective on it. it you're not it's not your problem it's theirs right. and it's it I kind of giggle now about the ghosting and I, at first when I first became single and I started getting back into the when I was ready to get back in the dating scene it kind of took me back you know when people would guys would ghost and things like that and I'm going okay well fine you know you know, you don't really even know what I can and can't see. So fine. If you're going to judge me that quickly, but I would, like you say, much rather gauge the situation, um, in person than I would, you know, that way anyway. So it, I ended up getting off of all of the, the dating stuff and I'm working, focusing on my business and stuff and instead of worrying about it at this point. If it's going to happen, it'll happen. And. You know, I'm just working, just focusing on my life and having a good time and enjoying myself. And if I end up meeting somebody, then that's great. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I agree with that approach. Um, uh, there's a dating coach. I but believe it or not, fun fact about me: years ago, I actually took a class about meeting women. <laughs> did you really? I really did. I my, my I had no game. I had no game. I was really insecure. My vision, I felt like my vision really dominated my my persona, I guess, right? I, I just didn't feel adequate. So um, it happened, it was this guy from, so one of my favorite authors, his name is Neil Strauss. He's wrote a book called The Game. He's wrote another interesting book 10 years later about relationships, which I really like. 
Um, so he's actually a New York Times writer and a Rolling Stones writer. And he's yeah. written books on Marilyn Manson, Jenna Jameson, Molly Crew. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he's written, so he's a writer. Like this is, so let me give you an idea. As I'm explaining this now, he's already an established writer, right? His name is out there. And he's still couldn't get laid. This guy just sucked. He had no game. Still couldn't get laid. And then... But just some people have that kind of charisma and some people don't feel like they do. And I think that the feeling, not feeling like they do really holds them back. So, yeah. So, so uh, his... Um, his, some, I don't know, some, some guy in New York Times said, listen, I want you to write a story about these guys opposing Canada. This is back like in the late 90s. They're supposedly like the, the, the modern day Casanovas. Write a story about them, make a piece. We'll see, we'll put it out there on the New York Times. So he goes and he, and, he, and he watches them in person. They're in a club and all they do is just talk to women, seduce women, that's all they do. And then, so he decides to take this two year, uh, venture with them and learn everything about uh, meeting women. And um, so, and, and then it came to be a book called The Game. It's not the greatest title of the book and I get it, but what I got out of the book and what I got out of him was we all have insecurities. We all have problems and issues. We all got them. Oh, and, all of us. Yeah. And it's a matter of how you present them. So after I read that book, then there was a guy that I took a course. His name is David Wygant. I think he was in California. Uh, he's the reason why the movie Hitch was made. And oh, okay. David Wygant, he coaches men and women about dating. And one of his biggest, one of his biggest um, advice was create a lifestyle that's so magnetic that you're going to not only attract the people in your life, but you're going to attract the partner that you want. Yep. And so when I heard that and I took that course and, and, and then I made sure that um, like there's a famous quote from another guy. He goes, if you say one thing, oh, that's an interesting, that's, a, that's an interesting comment. But if you say 10 interesting things in one breath or in a conversation, well, that you're an interesting guy. Um, so sure. I've always made sure to uh, I've always had hobbies. I've always had things. I've always had goals. And I, and I noticed that it attracted higher quality women than the women who just wanted to get high and get drunk and just not yep. do anything. Yep, absolutely. I absolutely agree with that. I think that's why I never really, I, I, I guess I never really thought about it, especially when I was younger. I just did the things I wanted to do. Like I, I think when I was telling you earlier, somebody told me I couldn't, I, I was, tooling around with figure skating and having some fun when I was working at one of the rinks and stuff years and years ago, right out of college, during college actually. And somebody told, I couldn't jump anymore. My shins weren't take my right shin wouldn't take it anymore. And so I was like, all right, well, I still love skating. So I'm just going to just tool around and play on public session or whatever. And it public got a little bit scary because there's so many people going so many different directions and it's, you know, and little kids and that kind of thing. So I just, I couldn't really do it as much anymore. I was getting a little bit, a little bit uncertain about, you know, not wanting to run somebody over, you know, mm -hmm. and somebody dies. We were out after closing one night and I grabbed one of the sticks and went out and played with one of the, with a couple of the guys just for fun. Mm -hmm. And they're like, Oh, you can't do this. You can't do this. 
Hmm. And I talked to my, my cousin who played pro at the time. And he says, you, you don't try. I'm going to fly out there and beat your butt. Hmm. <laughs> and he wouldn't let me not try. And he kept bugging me about it. And I love him to death for it. And some other friends, same thing, kept bugging me about it. And and it was it was only when I when I talked to my cousin he would say something about did you try it yet did you try it yet no I haven't so he I finally just said okay fine I'll try I think I practiced with the girl the the girls at the time it was the Los Angeles Lady Kings and we I practiced with them for almost a year before I even played a game and it was all about teaching me to play off the player instead of playing because I couldn't see the puck. I mean, it's this little black thing on moving way too fast for me. And and so I, I played off the player how I was taught by, by my cousin Sandy and by, you know, some other people that I was really, that I really respected and that played. And I just played beer league just for fun. It was slow and it was all beginners and it was fun. And some of the guys brought me in to play, um, you know, with their upper level, upper level pickup games and they walked, they protected and played with, you know, played around and we had a lot of fun. And I, I kind of dated out of there for a while just for fun, you know, cause I knew all the people. Um, and I never ever was treated any differently, which was so super cool. I mean, they all knew they all, they all knew I couldn't see, they all worked with it. They didn't push, you know, they pushed me to get better, but they knew I had a plateau where I was going to, you know, I, I couldn't get any better than where I was. And I just had fun, you know, with it. It just, you know, go do things. So I never had anything like, just like I didn't have things to talk about. You know, I didn't have nothing to say or didn't have interesting things in my life because I, I did do that. I've ridden horses since I was little. You know, I, I, I don't stop myself from doing anything. So I, I still... I, I always had something to talk about. So it was always things to have in conversation with people and it just kind of things would go from there. Gotcha. Um, so let me fast forward a little bit. Um, were you concerned when you went to college if you, if you were going to have the same experience of academics? Like, oh, I don't know how I'm going to pass college. I have to go through all this. Uh, yeah, I didn't have a great, I, I worked with the, with the college as far as trying to get, um, as far as doing some services to help, you know, kind of help me get all of the, the information that I needed and, and work in the classrooms and stuff. My biggest problem was transportation. So I ended up actually leaving before I was finished and, um, and just going to work. I started working full time and instead instead of uh, instead of finishing school, it was a bad decision. I shouldn't have done it. I should have stayed with it. But I had I got so um, defeated, I guess is the word, um, with the way I missed two finals because of transportation that last semester, and I was just done. I was done trying. I I, I didn't know any other way to make it work. And so I, I just, I didn't sign up that next semester. And I just went back to work, went to work, you know, went, started working more hours. And then, you know, um, and then my grandmother got sick after that. And I just, I never ended up going back. Mm -hmm. 
not the smartest decision. But I, I, I had a hard time too in school. Like, um, I had to take like remedial reading, remedial. Like, I sucked at everything, and my mom was really concerned that I was going to quit. And I quit for a few years, and then I, I eventually went back. And it's just like, like we were talking before. Like, I like learning. I like reading. I like all that. It's just same. I feel like, uh huh. Yeah, same here. I love the learning part of it. It's just it's as long as it's not. I just don't like the classroom situation. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. Yep. So the whole classroom thing, I hate it. So like, my girl was talking about. You know, I think I want to get a, what did she say? A, a business, uh, an MBA or something she wanted to get like for, for networking. And then she and I are like, I don't really agree with, with that, but I agree with the MBA. I think, I think it's a cool thing, but I'm like, listen, to be real with you, I'm not entertaining that. I don't want to go to school. I don't want to do finals. I don't want to sit there and, and listen to, I don't want to do any of that. I don't really care. Like, it's just, it's just not my thing. Like a classroom. It's just not. Mm-hmm. And, um, Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So, so, so you couldn't be a vet. So what were other ideas, career ideas, were you thinking of doing? So I ended up going into, it's still going into veterinary medicine, but not as the actual vet. So I went, I worked 15 years in veterinary medicine and whether it would be technician side of it or the the office administrative side of it. And I ended up in the office administrative side of it for the most part, um, towards the end of that 15 years, but I, and I really enjoyed it. I loved being in the hospital. I loved the patients. I loved the clients. I worked for some amazing doctors that worked with me as far as the visual part of it goes. I've only had one hospital I worked for that was horrible about it. Um, I mean, just no compassion at all, no understanding, no nothing. And, and I, that didn't last very long, thank goodness. But, uh, the others were just amazing. I mean, just incredible doctors that worked with me. But to the point where uh, one of them, I walked a total of five miles a day to and from work because I just, I loved what I did. Mm. I loved it. And so I stayed with animals until I got an offer that I couldn't, could not pass up. One of the clients at one of the hospitals I worked at came in and she said, you know, look, you are incredible at what you do um, and you don't let your vision part of it stop you from doing anything. She goes, I really need somebody like you for my husband's business. Would you mind coming in and interviewing with him? So I'll, I'll entertain the interview. Sure. So I went in and I ended up getting the position and was, so I was assistant to the VP for that company for, Uh, a little over almost two years and that was a huge learning experience for me huge learning experience it was totally different from anything I'd ever done but I really enjoyed the marketing and advertising and the the business structure and all of the other stuff that I got to work with um, in that particular business and it was it was a super cool thing and then they went through a restructuring I got laid off from that position and got a different one doing something very similar. I had five executives that I took care of and with another ad, uh, executive assistant. And that was so much fun. It was such a fun atmosphere. 
and so cre- I was around professional photographers and guys that did Photoshop for a living. And it was so creative and so inspiring and so yeah, it's just an interesting, wonderful place to work. And um, inevitably, that was, you know, that was a few years that I was there. And then inevitably, they ended up going through uh, some issues, I which I saw coming because I was helping with the accounting department. I saw the budget starting to drop and I knew something was going to happen, but I didn't think I was going to be on the chopping block. And I was. So I got laid off from that position. And at that point, my ophthalmologist was like, I need you to take a break from the computer. I, I need you to stop being on the computer because I was coming home every day with a migraine from being on the computer all day long. And he said, we've been doing this for a few years. You need, you need a break. And so I just completely had to restructure my life. I took a few years off and didn't work at all. And then I started working back with the animals again. And I've been doing that ever since. And I'm not on the computer all the time. I'm out with the animals that I absolutely adore. I may not make a ton of money, but I love it. And it's something that I know what I'm doing. I'm happy with it. I'm always learning. And I wouldn't change it for the world. Nice. I'm really blessed to be in the spot that I'm in. And like you were mentioning earlier, the whole positive versus negative attitude, I I just, I can't have that. I I can't be in that mindset where I didn't like it when I was off work because it was really easy for me to fall into the, it's easier, I should say, to fall into the the negative mindset of, of what goes on with us as opposed to staying more positive. And I, I had to start doing something else because mm-hmm. I just, it wasn't working. And it was, I was in the last part of that long-term relationship and it was just not a good place to be. So I was super depressed, mm-hmm. really stressed out. Um, I just, I wasn't even healthy at that point. Um, and it was just better for me to be doing something that I really enjoyed doing so that I didn't think about it all the time. I didn't beat myself up for it. So it, I, and I love it. I just, like I said, I wouldn't change it for the world. So. <laughs> nice. Cool. Well, congrats. Yeah. Um, there was, I was talking about it with someone else. Um, uh, this friend of mine, he's going to go through a divorce and, um, and he, and I was telling him like, first of all, I said, look, I don't know anything. I've never been married. I, I don't know anything. I don't, I don't know. But, but in terms of like change, like, um, like uh, an author that I like, John Maxwell, he would say like, that's cool. yeah, I love him. Um, he goes, you know, when you sit on the nail and when it hurts enough, when the pain is so great is when you'll do something about it. But uh, some people are just very numb by the pain and they just deal with it because that's all we know. Like, well, this is what I know. It's not what I like. But this is what I know, and I prefer the un- I prefer this than the unknown, you know. So a lot of people choose to be in these really awful situations because they're scared of you know these other possibilities. And um, so yeah, it's familiar, huh? It's familiar. Yeah, it's familiar. Yeah, for sure. And um, because yeah, the doubt comes in. You know, like I was saying, you probably think you're too old. You probably think you're out of date. You probably think you're out of the game. Uh, you probably think you're out, uh, uh, 
inadequate, you know, and, and then because those things kind of creep in and then you just stay where you're at. And, and, but, well, uh, and a lot of it for me was that I was told those mm. things. I, I was told I was stupid. I was told I was hated. I was, you know, so it, I was more broken down by, by the other person per se. Uh, and then the fact that I wasn't doing anything for work. So I, I just, it was like a downward spiral kind of thing. And then I finally just had to pick scratch and crawl and pick myself up and make it happen because yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't stay in that place. It was just, it was too dark. It was too scary. It was like you say, I had sat on the nail for too long. And yeah. it, the pain was too much for me to not, it, the, the fear of what was to come was less than what was going to happen with that pain. I was ready to, to get off of it. Right. So cool. I, I well, totally yeah. understand that. Well, congrats on the, uh, on the upgrade. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, let me move on to the next topic, which is tech. Sure. So what's, what's cell phone or what's your, your cell phone of choice that you like to use? So I have, I have the iPhone 11 at the moment. Um, and I was really reluctant to switch to the iPhone originally. I was on an Android and, and I liked it. I was familiar with it. Um, but then when I got the iPad and I started using that, the switch for me wasn't that hard. It, you know, once I got used to using the iPad, I was, I was like, okay, I can do this. I can switch to this. And I was really still worried about, what kind of um, accessibility apps were on the iPhone and what was able, I was going to be able to use to help out with things. And I, it, it took one of my counselors to really say, okay, there's more on the iPhone than there is on the, on the Android. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's necessarily true now, but at the time, I guess there was far more available on the iPhone than there was on the Android for accessibility stuff. So and the fact that I could sync the iPod, the phone and the, and the iPad and be able to see things bigger on the iPad than I do on the phone. Mm -hmm. um, so like there's times when I still do my text messaging on my iPad if I'm here in the house, which is not very, you know, like only at night and things like that. Mm -hmm. But because um, I'm usually pretty much on the go during the day, but it's I, I, I love it. I love the speech to text. I don't know if a lot of people use that or not, but I definitely do. Mm -hmm. So it's, it makes it so much easier <laughs> than having to read everything. Yeah. What, so. what apps do you like to use on your iPad? I have, a, I have a few of them that I use, but I love the fact that now they've made it so much easier to switch the color stuff and the fact that they have the, the text size difference now. Right. where they didn't have it on a lot of the apps before or it wasn't cross-platform before. And now it's so incredibly much easier. I do use a magnifier on my iPad um, for printed stuff. Mm -hmm. And then I do use um, another one that I have that I do like voice notes and things like that back and forth with people instead of doing text mm -hmm. um, on the iPad as well. So okay. it's fun for when I communicate. And then I do do Zoom and stuff like that off of my iPad um, predominantly or, or sometimes my phone. I don't like doing as much with the phone if it's a video conference because I can't I can't tell anything on the screen at all. It's too small. Gotcha. Um, 
so I, I believe you and I uh, have the same issue where I, I don't like using this term, but it's the only term I know is invisible disability. Where uh, yes, you know we don't look like we're visually impaired or blind, but we are. How often have you been accused of you're not really blind? Are you blind? What? Oh my god. Okay, so yeah, that went all the time. Except, like I say, if my eyes are moving, then people can tell. Or like in certain pictures, my pictures, I hate pictures. But, which is funny because I do social media for one of my my businesses and I have to do pictures. But um, I've learned to, I have to like take a second before anybody takes the picture and I have to like tell myself to relax because my eyes will move before I take them. If I'm trying to see the camera, that's like the worst thing for me to do is like look to see where the camera is. Forget it. But the, um, but yeah, I do. I get it a lot. Oh, you're not. I, well, when I was young, I used to get, you're not blind enough. O M G. What exactly does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> It's you're not you're not blind enough. Well, okay, no, that's because I've been faking it for years to make it look like I'm normal. You silly people. It's it it's just I I tried really hard to make it make myself be like everybody else. So then when it came down to what can you really see, and I figured out what I could really not see, it was like oh holy crap! Like you really have worked your butt off to make it be like you're okay and I'm like yeah no I I did because that's just what I knew Mm -hmm. so it was so there was a lot there's still a lot of people that think I'm just I'm not you know you know I'm either faking it or I'm making it more than it is or whatever it's I'm not you just can't see it because it's one nerve on the back of both of my eyes that connect my eye to my brain and it's not something that you're going to be able to see. It's inside my head. You know, like yours, it's the back of your eye. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be able to see that. It's not something that's just out there for people to know. And, yeah, you're going to get the naysayers and you're going to get the people that say you're not. And, and then it's like, okay, so where's my where's my car? Where's my, you know, my stuff like that that I can, you're, I'm supposed to be able to do since I'm faking it. You know, like, come on now, you know, yeah, you get it. You get it a lot. I'm sure you do. Yeah. It's, It's, yeah, you're right. You you know, you just want to just blend in. You don't want the attention. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, I've never been blind enough for certain resources or to really be Mm -hmm. part of the group. But then my vision was never good enough, good enough to do the other things. (laughs) <laughs> yeah I, I used to just call myself I'm I'm a tweener I'm in between I'm not quite blind enough and I'm not quite sighted enough so I'm kind of in the in the middle but it's but I'm but at the same time I'm really not I'm not in the middle mm-hmm. because I can fake it or I can not have myself have enough attention you know like not draw attention to myself mm-hmm. um but at the same time there's just times you can't do that like, you know, clear water in a clear glass, I'm going to knock it over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's just no getting around it. There's just times when it, you know, it's just going to happen. And, you know, I just kind of have to giggle. And I, I do do a lot of stuff through humor, mm-hmm. um, as far as adapt, you know, dealing with it. But 
it's like, all right, you know, you know, what is, you, you don't want to be labeled, but at the same time, you don't, you know, you want to just kind of live your life and not have it be something that, you know, goes over the, the black cloud over your head either. So it's a fine line, I guess we walk, but people, and, and there's a lot of people that are not, like you say, not considered of the fact that just because they can't see it, you know, it doesn't make it that it's not there. Right. I think there's becoming more awareness of that too, with other things uh, being pushed to the forefront, like, you know, people with fibro or, or other things that, you know, you can't see, um, or even, you know, say cancer patients, you can't tell until, you know, they're really, really sick. And that's unfortunate. And it's, I think people just need to have some more compassion for, for other human beings in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and not quite judge people so quickly. Right. I got you. Um, cool. Well, yeah, no, you're right. You won't know until someone has cancer until they go through chemo. Yes. <laughs> it's unfortunate. Yeah, and, it, and it's sad. It's not, it's not right. Yeah. It doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it for anybody to say anything about, about it to you in the grocery store either. Right. Or, you know, when you tell them about your eyesight and they say, well, you don't look one. Yeah. That's not fair. You know, it's not right. But mm-hmm. people are going to do it. People are going to be insensitive. And, and you know, all you can do is just hope and pray that this place turns into a more compassionate world, you know, that people don't jump to conclusions like that as quickly. Yes. Um, but until then, we it's something that we have to deal with, unfortunately. Hopefully it doesn't happen very often, though. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 for sure. Um, cool, man. I really appreciate your time today, Christy. No, thank you. It was a, it was a blast. It was my pleasure. I enjoyed it. So, last three questions. I ask these questions to every guest on the show. Uh, oh boy, it's, it's just fun questions. Um, <laughs> so, do you have a favorite movie that you? I don't. Up? Um, I don't know that I have a favorite. I have some that I really. I really enjoyed movies are different. Um, I really love going to going to the movies and watching the movie, but at the same time, there's things I know I miss when I watch the movie. So I'm one of those people that'll watch a movie three or four times. So I can make sure I get it all (laughs) or, or I'll watch it with somebody that I don't, that I know doesn't mind if I go, what the heck just happened right there, you know, kind of thing. And that, that kind of thing where I, I'm like, okay, I think I just missed that entire scene because I didn't get what that person was doing, you know, that kind of thing. So I, I have to either have one or two, either watch it a couple of times or not, but I have, I have some that I've really liked, but I don't think I have one that stands out as my favorite person. Okay. Gotcha. So. Okay, cool. Um, do you have a favorite book that you like to read or a book you like to give to people? Uh, I'm okay. So I had finished it year like a while back, but I've listened because I do all my stuff on audible, but I've listened to this series, I think two or three times now. And I'm this is the dark power series by Stephen King. I am. I love those books for some reason. Okay. Absolutely. Love them. But like, Brene Brown, I mean, things that there's a couple of other like self, the self-development type type stuff. I absolutely love. Um, I'm, I just, 
And then one of my, I think one of my ones from growing up was Jonathan Livingston Siegel. And I loved that book. Mm-hmm. I just loved it. And it wasn't like it was some big profound book. It was just one of those things that I just loved that story. Mm-hmm. So, but I have other ones that I like, but it's just, I'm not, you know, it's, but I'm also a big podcast junkie. So I like, and I love to learn. So I'm like one of those people that'll listen to because I, I do horses. So I do like feed pot, you know, nutrition podcasts and, and, uh, you know, biology stuff and, and training and all of that stuff, which is huge for me. And then of course the personal development stuff. I'm a big junkie on those too. I, I love listening and I just love learning. So, and I know that that's net, that's something that will never stop. So anything yep. I can do to absorb information, I, I love it. Gotcha. Nice. Um, and last one, do you have a favorite artist or an album? Oh, to? Oh, okay. So I am one of those people and I think you probably noticed it. I always have my earbuds in, even on my Instagram pictures, I always have my earbuds in and that's always because there's either music or some sort of podcast or book going. So okay. but music is my big thing. I am a complete music freak. Okay. Um, but I like all sorts of genres. It's, I don't have one particular one that I love the most. Well, I actually do. I, I, I'm a big country person. <laughs> okay. But I, I have to say I am. Um, I'm a huge, like, Brantley Gilbert fan. Um, there's some, I, I like some of, like, the, the, the up-and-coming artists, the stuff that, you know, the the independent label stuff, the, the, the people that actually, I'm big into actually the people that actually write their own stuff. I love how they can convey their own story in a different, in, in the way that it really felt at the time. So for me, I'm a, I'm a big songwriters type person. Mm-hmm. I just, and I love all the, the, you know, the kind of the eclectic kind of in, interesting, maybe not always on the chart kind of stuff, mm-hmm. but it's, um, you know, I just, I, I enjoyed the whole process of the music thing. I used to, used to partake in, in, in it years and years ago. Uh, I had a band with an ex-boyfriend a long time ago mm-hmm. and I, and I absolutely loved it. Um, so it's, the music is huge. I think, I think a lot, for a lot of us that have the visual impairment, the, the music is a big thing though. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, we might we might have a special ear for it. Um, that that it, it could be our our benefit to it. I think so. I think so. I, I guess I may be wrong on that, but it it's for me, it's always been something that's been super special to me. Um, and it might be. I always thought of it as because I don't see very well that my ears just picked up more. I mean, I could hear really, really super well. And so for me, like just the whole listening process and the and the enjoying the sound process is just just intriguing and, and amazing to me. It's been very very close to my heart. So nice. But cool. yeah, you could play anything, and I'd love it <laughs> for the most part. I, but I am kind of picky. I, I do like I do like certain things. So got it. Okay, cool. Well, <clears throat> if um if people wanted to connect with you, where where can they find you? So um, the handle for Instagram is Half Halt for Fitness. It's um, 
that you can always find me there and or um, my I'm not don't have anything I, I shut down the YouTube channel so that's done and then the that's primary the one that that you find me my other Instagram and my Facebook are both you know, personal stuff for the most part so but that that's probably the best place to come is to connect with me is is half halt for fitness at um, on Instagram got it okay cool I'll put those on the show notes uh awesome. don't hang up just yet but I really appreciate you for being here thank you so much for having me I really appreciate it yeah definitely this is a great thing that you're doing oh I appreciate it very much thank you this pro- podcast is brought to you by reading yeah just read you know, I know we're in 2020 and um, streaming and playing video games has never been any easier than it has been now. Like, it's crazy how easy it is to just be uh, warped into, like, binge watching and video games and shit like that. So, and it's cool. Don't get me wrong. I definitely have my moments. But I also don't want to forget how important reading is because there's a reason why the Nazis did not want the Jewish people to read and they made them burn all their books. There's a reason why when African-Americans were enslaved, uh, their masters told them that they it was illegal for them to read because they understood the power of reading. It's so important. Um, I think some of the best books in the world, unfortunately, don't get the, the, the notice that they get. And, um, you know, it's just a lack of, I think, maybe intention and... And maybe interest, right? So I want to promote two books here for you guys that I think are definitely amazing. One of my favorite books is John Maxwell's books, Failing Forward. John Maxwell is one of the best leadership speakers in the world, in my opinion. He's awesome. He used to be a preacher back in his day, but now he's a full-time speaker. He's like in his 70s, I think. And he does not speak, look, or act like a person in his 70s. He's so fit, so mentally fit. And the way he speaks is so powerful. I love the book that he wrote, Failing Forward, because, you know, there's all these books about how to be successful and 10 keys to be success and blah, 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 blah. John Maxwell, for me, wrote one of the best books about failure. And that's something that we don't want to talk about in society, because in school, we want to pass and get good grades and and do all this and do great. But we don't want to acknowledge the failure. And for a long time, failure was like the secret sauce that a lot of entrepreneurs kept mentioning. So Failing Forward basically is a bunch of short stories of iconic people throughout history who have failed but have made the most of it. Trudy Cathy from Chick-fil-A, Mary Kay, uh, I think the Wright brothers with the flying airplane, like all of it. it. And they're just great, great stories. So I definitely recommend you guys check that out. There'll be a link for that. Also, my second book that I strongly recommend is T. Harv Ecker, The Millionaire Mind. Secrets of a Millionaire Mind, I'm sorry. And this is another book that's important because, see, we what we have in our life right now, what you're looking at and what your lifestyle is, it's a manifestation of what you're thinking. It really is. It's hard to believe that, but it is, right? And this book is a great book to recondition your mind. Like, look, you deserve more. You can be more, you can get more, you deserve it. Why, why not, right? There was a quote I put out on my Instagram that says, 
if you settle for less, then you're going to get less than what you settled for. And that is so true. There's been so often where I said, you know, I just need enough money to pay the bills. That's what I would say. I just need enough money to pay the bills. But now it's like, no, I want money to buy a private jet and I'm going to get that right. And the times that I said about the bills, I've gotten even less money. I barely made the bills. I hated, hated it. So those are two books I strongly recommend, powerful books that would change your perspective. Highly recommended from a book lover to a book lover. Check it out. All right. What an awesome episode that was with Christy, right? How fun was talking to her about uh, growing up in California, growing up how she loves horses, fitness, uh, relationships, you know. I really do believe that one of the biggest things in happiness and Tony Robbins, I think this is one of Tony Robbins' biggest thing, is to raise your standards. And you can definitely tell that Christy has raised her standards with her life personally and professionally, that there's certain things she's not going to deal with, disabled or not. And as a result, she's much happier of it. So we definitely had a great combo. Uh, I think you guys definitely enjoyed it, in my opinion, because I definitely did a hundred times hearing it again uh, for the second time editing editing this podcast. Don't forget, if you want to hit her up, she's on Instagram. She has a great Instagram page all about fitness and horses. So you got to hit her up. So once again, if you guys like the podcast, I appreciate it very much. Hit a like, share, subscribe. I'd love to know what you guys think. Who's your favorite guest? You can always talk to some of the guests on Facebook that I have them there. And yeah, so once again, appreciate it. And I'll see you at the next one. Peace.